welcome to the Conscious Thinking Podcast from the Conscious Advertising Network. And this is an excellent series of thought-provoking sessions where today we're discussing advertising and human rights. I'm your host, Sunu Singh from Creative Sound. And with me, I have Pierre Oberoi, the Senior Advisor on Migration and Human Rights for the Asia-Pacific region. And she's joining us all the way from Bangkok. Thank you, Pierre, and the Conscious Advertising Network co-founder, Jake Douglas. Thank you both. Now, digital platforms, we can keep in touch with our loved ones, engage in activism, enjoy an endless supply of TikTok videos, shopping habits, buy those golden boots um, that I've been trying to. Uh, but at what social cost? You know, we're all waking up to how corporate surveillance, for instance, is used for targeted advertising. And that, in a way, threatens some democracy, human rights, because we have media manipulation, potential misuse of personal uh, data. Now, also, organizations are making tons of money by collecting data about us, selling um, that advertising, allowing brands, and let's not forget uh, politicians, to use that power of data to influence people's behavior. Now, how is all of this compatible with, with democracy and human rights? We'll start with you, Pia. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me. It's, it's great to, to join you and, and to be um, talking again with Jake. Um, particularly. In fact, Jake and I started talking precisely about kind of issues around how advertising um, affects human rights with, and, and he will tell you about it in the course of this podcast, I'm sure, in the course of launching a global framework, um, um, a United Nations global framework on uh, migration uh, back in 2018, where you saw the real life impact really of, of a kind of a campaign of disinformation and a campaign um, of, of uh, mobilization by extreme uh, right-wing forces against what was essentially quite a bland United Nations document that spoke about how to do migration better, how to get governments to collaborate on migration. Um, and so we've been, we've been trying over these last years to, to understand a little bit better where human rights fits in this conversation, how to bring um, companies into a conversation on human rights, which is meaningful for them. And at the same time, how to um, bring the United Nations, bring human rights lawyers into um, a conversation with companies where they feel that they are having an impact. So there's a lot of, um, um, I think, tables that need to be opened up to, to each other, really, um, in this. We, we found, um, again, uh, you know, we, we might tell you a little bit more about this event that we held um, last November in Geneva, um, where Jake uh, joined uh, me and we had some other guests from brands talking about the economics of hate at the Business and Human Rights Forum um, at the Palais des Nations in Geneva. And it was at times like we were speaking different languages. Um, you know, the language of human rights law, um, you know, very staid, very formal. Um, and then the, to me, frankly, quite bewildering language around algorithms and how digital ad spends work, etc. But I think the conclusion that we came to is that it's important to, to try to understand those different vocabularies um, precisely because um, the the cause that is at stake is is so great, and I'll co- and you know I'll come back to where I started, which is precisely at that moment in 2018, where you had such mobilization against such an innocuous document, and in fact I'll end by saying that you know the Christchurch massacre that we then saw a few years a few months um, after that, the the perpetrator of that atrocity had actually etched into the barrel of his gun. This is your global compact on migration. So so they are real world 
implications to to the kind of mobilization and the kind of um, you know kind of hate that we see online. And as Jake will now tell you, um, you know, this is weaponized. This is kind of um, unwittingly um, often magnified and amplified um, by the, the 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 world of advertising. So this is why we're interested in it. Um, Jake, can I ask what Pia said? Actually, quite interesting that not only is human right, how does that fit into this conversation, but she also talks about almost the, the two, not quite opposite, but in, in a way, two bits of the spectrum which um, are using very different language. So, so almost being quite bewildering to each other. And that almost sort of, you know, you can, you can almost argue that even if you were to talk about, say, something like, like climate crisis as well, it's, it's the language which is so different to, to marketing, to communications, to, to the world of advertising. Obviously, as founder of, of um, Conscious Advertising Network, do you truly believe after, you know, these uh, how many years of the evolution of the organization itself that you can have a human rights-based approach to social good and marketing that industry is obsessed with? Um, the short answer to that is, yes, I think we can, um, but I don't think we're there yet. I think that, you know, um, nobody that got into marketing realized that they would be talking about the language of human rights. And I would imagine the same would go to, Peer, you know, as a as a as a as a esteemed lawyer on on human rights and migration, I'm not sure she would have expected to be talking about advertising um, over the last couple of years. Um, I think 2018 was a fairly pivotal pivotal moment in that where advertising and the role of the media was actually part of that global compact document that that, that Peer mentioned. So there was a clause that specifically talked about the role of advertising and and the role of media in in how migration and migrants are, are discussed in terms of humanizing that discussion rather than than some of the terminology of, of, of dehumanization so i think there's there's a you know still a lot of work to do i think i think that again the marketing world or the advertising world is waking up to the fact that whether we like it or not we fund large parts of the internet you know without advertising google doesn't really exist without advertising facebook doesn't really exist so so the narratives that shape our lives online and obviously this year we've been online more than ever before you know they are funded and paid for by advertising so so this this dialogue this continued understanding mutual understanding between the world of human rights and the world of advertising is absolutely necessary and, and you talk uh, you, you sort of furthered that question about climate the, the definitions of what constitutes hate, what constitutes climate disinformation, what constitutes, you know, how do we how do we separate fact from fiction in a world that has literally been taken over by monetized and business models that make money from hate and disinformation? It is beholden, I think, upon all of us in the advertising space and in the human rights space and in the the the, the sort of climate science, public health science. Um, uh, space to to take responsibility, work together, and really learn each other's languages in order to better uh, attempt to solve these problems that we all face as society. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting because obviously you know let's let's talk hate speech and fake news. So, um, so, so Pierre, would you would you say that both are 
different symptoms of the same problem in a way. And also, especially during this pandemic, as, as um, uh, Jake said, you know, we've seen so much disinformation, coronavirus conspiracy theories. Obviously, you know, President Donald Trump needs almost almost its own episode. Um, I mean, yes, perhaps we should all be looking at the kind of language, you know, trying to use the same language. But do we need to be slightly more radical than that? Do you, do you think all brands should be boycotting all digital platforms and maybe we'll get to some kind of level playing field? Um, I mean, I think you're right to say that, you know, issues, things like fakes, uh, hate speech um, and um, kind of the, the weaponized misinformation are, are two sides of the same coin in the sense that you're, you're getting from them to a very real human rights harm. So from a human rights perspective, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at, well, where is the harm? Who are the individuals that, that are being um, uh, affected and, and what kind of remedies do they have? So I think that there's, there's definitely, you know, a commonality to that. Um, I mean, I think in, in terms of, of what the, the strategy to address that is, I mean, it's quite interesting because, again, um, there is not a, consensus among human rights experts as to, you know, how to do this and, and where to do it. It's only very recently that platforms like the ones that you mentioned, Facebook, Google, etc., are actually even starting to talk about international human rights law as a benchmark, as a standard that can be used. Um, and I was just looking at the report the, that was issued last year of the Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression, looking at online hate speech. But I think, you know, very much the, the whole misinformation, particularly when the misinformation also targets groups. I mean, that's the other thing about it is that what we've seen through the, the COVID uh, pandemic, what we've seen through the playbook of people like Donald Trump is that you have to kind of, you know, pick your group. They're often weak and vulnerable and by demonizing and by um, kind of, um, you know, spreading this misinformation and hate, you get others um, on your side. So it, it, the playbook is, is quite similar. And um, so what human rights um, uh, experts have been trying to do is to say, well, what is that as a special rapporteur on freedom of expression? What is the best way um, to address this? And and I don't think that there is a, a one um, size fits all. But I think the the... To me, the answer has to be more speech, more discussion, more collaboration, because I think walking away from a problem and setting your stand on one hill and saying that, you know, my way is right and your way is not, is almost how we got into this situation when people are not talking to each other. Um, and certainly some of the human rights um, kind of um, examples that we have, you know, say things like get the platforms to conduct regular human rights as impact assessment. Look at due diligence seriously. Talk meaningful consultation with affected communities. So I think that's all part of saying, let's not get to boycotts and, and leaving. Let's try to understand each other's perspective um, and, and get to a place where the universality, the benchmarks that human rights law provides can help us get to a solution. Where some of the platforms that we use now have come from, they certainly weren't, you know, um, you know, some of them might have had big ambitions, but but I don't think they were truly going to recognize the global forces that they were going to become. And so therefore, you know, baking human rights law and human rights respect uh, um, uh, protocols into the, the, the sort of embryonic stages of building those platforms probably was never on the mind of 
yeah. Zuckerberg and Sergey Brin and you know Larry Page and, and so on. So so I think that where hopefully this conversation will go to, rather than you know calling for boycotts of individual platforms, you know this this is a problem that is endemic. It's bigger than one platform, and and hopefully where we'll get is the recognition that human rights needs to be in the, the the sort of birthing of these future platforms, almost ethics by design, as opposed to uh, let's try and ram ethics back into Pandora's box. Um, but surely there, there has to be a place for boycotts. I know both of you said boycott is, is not the only way, especially within the context of human rights. And a lot of human rights have actually been given to the, 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 the likes of us because we've had those, those uh, boycotts. And, and going back, because you were the, one, uh, the first one to use the F word, Facebook. Um, so let's remind ourselves of the Stop Hate for Profit Facebook ad boycott, what was in, in, in June. I mean, surely that sort of worked. In, in a way because as a formal boycott it was larger, much more organised, much more voluminous. There were more than, what, 1,200 companies uh, that got involved. I mean, it kind of worked or, or, or did it not, Jake? Yeah, I mean, yes, it did. The, 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 the publicity around that, you know, just, just to be clear, CAN doesn't call for boycotts of specific platforms because we're trying to, you know, say that actually the whole system needs a human rights angle and lens on it. However, undoubtedly, the boycott of 1,200 companies uh, from Facebook publicly clearly put intolerable pressure on Facebook to step up, to change processes, to change enforcement, uh, and so on. So, so yes, of course, boycotts do work, and and the public, you know, they raise public profile. You know, they, you know, people like Sasha Baron Cohen has been very vocal about about Facebook's responsibility. There is now the Facebook Oversight Board. There is, you know, public scrutiny of the platforms is absolutely imperative. And boycotts um, do, of course, add to that to that public scrutiny. I think I think the question is, you know, that you know it's really important to talk about the line of when boycotts happen and so you don't start going into you know clamping down unreasonably on freedom of speech because obviously we live you know luckily you and I Sunu in a, in, in a place where we can kind of say what we like within the laws of the land you know in other parts of the world that is not true and so true. that also needs to be balanced within this this whole argument but yeah i mean clearly the the boycott you know made a lot of noise and clearly uh, has has enacted some change and and pia what is your position both as a lawyer and as a un representative on on uh, on regulation and law because under french law for instance misleading advertising is punishable under under criminal act and they did this thing with, uh, they indicted Samsung uh, last year because of misleading advertising that was all around human rights and how they treated their workers in, in, uh, in fact, Vietnam, India, and, and a few other countries. I mean, obviously, since last year, Samsung, I mean, Jake and I know, you know, Samsung's uh, sort of brand value hasn't quite diminished. But from your point of view, I mean, is there, is, is there, um, uh, space for some kind of um, stricter regulation and laws. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and just to add, you know, to finish from what Jake said, I mean, obviously we support very strongly um, the idea of that engagement. So the consumer action that we see around people, um, you know, coming together to to make points, to mobilize um, and to demand different um, uh, a different action is is absolutely something that we um, that we support and, and human rights law supports. I, human rights law also supports, obviously, regulation um, in the sense of where there is a violation. And we must remember that the legal um, uh, standard, the legal threshold under international human rights law is incitement to discrimination within um, uh, the ICCPR and third. And so there is a legal kind of basket, a benchmark um, around it. The, the the issue is is the issue that that Jake brought up, which is um, the restriction. In order to regulate, you must restrict freedom of expression, and freedom of expression has been recognised as such a core dear right to all of us um, that to remove it in any way requires a very high um, standard and threshold. And I think this is where. The, the, the issues with, with regulation lie because very rightly said, I mean, we have a number of, of um, uh, instances, even in Western democracies, but if we look yeah. you know, in the region where, where I'm sitting at the moment, I mean, it's rife with the kinds of laws that would prohibit um, free speech on the basis that this is hurting somebody's sentiments or on the basis yeah. that it is being a, a security threat or, you know, challenging a, a um, uh, royalty or something like that. So I think we need to be, you know, when um, when we're asking regulation, and particularly when we're asking regulation of private companies, I mean, it, it, one of the points that the special rapporteur made in this report, which I found fascinating, is the, the idea that governments are asking companies to regulate things that they themselves are not putting into their laws. So I think what we need is a clear legislative path to understand what is your definition of hate speech, how do you define, you know, prohibited conduct, um, and and for that to be the and and within the context of of you know international standards and and um, compliance with those standards, and for that to be the benchmark that that companies um, are are taking, because I don't think that it is. Um, right or fair that, um, you know, companies, which, as Jake said, didn't set out to be the beacon on the hill in terms of, you know, rights and freedom of expression. They set out to sell things or, you know, kind of um, do other things, connect people. They shouldn't be the ones that are regulating how our societies are working. And so it is up to the governments to put those laws in place. That said, as I, as you know, I'll come back um, because I think that regulation also can get to a point where we are what is your what is your remedy? Your remedy is criminalization. It's um, you know kind of outlawing and banning within the the framework of the law. And I'm very very skeptical. And I come to this also from having worked for years on the issue of migration, where everything that is able to be criminalized is instantly criminalized. You know, you come without papers, you come without um, you know identity. You 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 have the wrong sort of name or face or family or whatever, and, and it's criminalized. And criminalization, if we even if we look at, you know, things like the war on drugs, et cetera, it, it's a very blunt instrument for what, as, as we started this conversation off, is an issue of society. It's an issue of how we talk to each other. It's an issue of how we um, see each other, what news we believe, how we believe our, our societies are functioning. And so I do think that regulation kind of needs to be accompanied with those kinds of social inclusion and community um, dialogues. And, and we should insist that, that the platforms 
are part of those and that they really are, you know, kind of encouraging that, that, that space to be created. So, yeah, and I mean, to answer your question, I mean, I think there is definitely a place for criminalization and, and human rights standards will take us somewhere. But there's a, uh, sorry, there's a place for regulation and human rights standards will take us, you know, somewhere to that. But I think we need to be careful that we don't just regulate everything and, and assume that that will provide us the answer. Um, Jake, when you listen to 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 Pia and and you know obviously United Nations talking about all these challenges which have a very fundamental impact on our everyday lives, public policies, the governments that we we uh, live and work under. I mean, how do you feel as as part of the advertising industry? What the advertising industry has gotten up till till now, and obviously we are seeing that the industry sometimes. Or, or maybe um, a slightly cynical view, but the industry might have been gifted the pandemic as an excuse to again avoid getting its house in order. I mean, well, you know, these are some really big, huge, huge, enormous challenges. As an industry, are we even scratching the surface? Um, I'd say that the industry has been late in waking up to how online harms you know, affect uh, real world harms and, 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 and how, you know, the industry's influence um, means that either people either in, 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 in our countries or further afield, you know, can get hurt. Um, and also going back to the issues of public health um, uh, and, and, you know, global issues like, like climate. You know, going back to the point, you know, the the, the peer made. You know, we when we were invited to the to the um, session on the forum for business and human rights, we talked about the economic model of hate, and it is an economic model. If you if you can set up a website, a a a channel on 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 one of the platforms and start monetizing it through advertising, well, guess what? You know, lies, hate. You know, outrage. They get more traction. They get more eyeballs, and 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 you can therefore, you know, monetize that to sell more more advertising. And I and I think that either the industry's been naive in in sort of saying, oh no, we're we're not, you know, that's not us, or irresponsible, or both, um, because they haven't got their house in order. And and you know, many organisations like. You know, we work alongside an organization called the Global Disinformation Index, and they regularly produce reports every week that show brands appearing on, you know, terrible misinformation about about COVID and public health in the middle of a pandemic. So, so no, we haven't grasped the nettle. Um, and I think that sometimes we are focusing on the wrong things without without recognizing that our influence on wider society human beings and the the and our home that none of us exist without um you know i, th- I think we we've underestimated our, our impact on that yeah some some great topics and and uh, some some heavy points of discussion here so let me um have the last question is around children now all three of us have kids and I was talk- I was reading the Conscious Advertising Network manifesto, and the last point that you have is around child well-being. So uh, looking at, um, at children, really. Now, in the UK, um, I don't know whether you're aware, uh, there, there is a government proposal to plan uh, that all online advertising around junk food is going to be banned, and that is an attempt to 
to tackle childhood obesity. So, um, Jake, I'm going to ask you first, does the dad in you say yes and the agency owner in you say no? <laughs> Great question. Um, yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think that I think that, you know, advertising has a role to play within this. Obviously, it's not the only role. Clearly, inequality, poverty, you know, access to, to you know, knowledge, access to, to ingredients, you know, all, all society issues have, have a huge role to play in the fight against obesity. But I think that, you know, let's, let's not pull any punches. To say that advertising doesn't work if you're advertising junk food is, is, is certainly not true. We talk a lot about how advertising does work. Um, I think a blanket ban with the sort of timelines, you know, maybe, maybe not. But I think one of the one of the critical questions as a dad is when does my child go from being the wonderful, innocent, you know, um, spirited, creative individuals that they are to being a consumer? What is the age that when our children become consumers? I, I don't know. I'd like I'd sort of throw that question out to you and to the listeners. At what point as parents are we happy for our children to go from being children to consumers and then it's fair game? Yeah, indeed. Pierre, you have the last word. When it comes to human rights and childhood obesity and advertising, what is the, the uh, UN's and, and indeed your, your stance <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, again, I think that there would be, you know, lots of very interesting things that human rights law could say about this. And, and there is, I was just telling my daughter the other day about the child rights framework and saying that, you know, that a lot of this is about the empowerment of children to be able to take decisions, to have a voice, the right to be heard, um, et cetera, is very much about that. And, and I think it, it's interesting when you say, Jake, that, you know, they become consumers because, of course, I mean, what we're doing, the right of a child to development is is growing them into adults. And, and that's what childhood is about. It's about, you know, taking them on that step to when under international law, when they're no longer 18, they become kind of fully fledged members of society. And it is interesting as well to think about it. We moved to Thailand um, a year and a half ago from Geneva, where my children were younger. They had absolutely no idea what advertising you know, was. We lived in a sleepy little part of, of a sleepy little town. Um, and now we're in the big city. We're in Bangkok. And, and they certainly know what advertising is. And it's hitting them in the face, you know, wherever they're going. Um, and, and it is part of, I think, you know, I mean, I, I, as, as you said, Jake, it's, it's, when do they become consumers and how do we give them the tools to to understand? Because, again, it comes back down to what we were talking. You can regulate and you can ban, but I would feel more comfortable if my child were to make that decision to say, I don't want to eat this every day of the week or maybe not, you know, kind of um, at an, in an unsustainable way. That's a treat, etc. Because I think that that is the thing that's going to last um, with them. And And, again, you know, as as growing up mature, sensible human beings, that would be my wish uh, for my child and my wish for what the government would want um, for my child. What a great end to this conversation. Thank you to our guest, Pio Broy from the UN, all the way from Bangkok joining us, and Jake Dubbins from Conscious Advertising Network. And also a big thank you to our friends, Marshall Street Editors and The Nerve. Thank you all. Thank you for listening and bye-bye.